HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Sabina Lada, the founder and CEO of Dough, the good-for-you cookie dough company, revolutionizing the relationship between health-conscious eating and notoriously sweet foods, with flavors like chocolate chip with immune support, brownie batter with collagen support, and ginger doodle, my favorite, with stress-relieving ingredients such as ashwagandha. You can find Dough online and at retailers including Sprouts, Target, Whole Foods Market, The Fresh Market, and many more. Welcome, Sabina. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. I know. We were talking right before we started recording that we have the Venn diagram <laughs> middle of you and me is a lot. It's <laughs> a lot. Like I a love big, it. Thick, thick middle of Venn diagram and not so much with experience because I'm. we will get into that. And I, <laughs> I love bringing in people who have that sort of big CPG experience, but friends in the industry, investors, people who, um, people who like you tend to like me, which is really that's, that's cool. good news. Cause I yeah. like you. So yeah, me too. <laughs> and we don't even know each other. Um, so I want to get kind of right into it because you are one of those people that has a really big backstory with a lot of interesting pieces that all come together, culminating in dough. Mm -hmm. Um, But because um, I'm less how I built this and more like, how the hell am I going to build this? (laughs) I tend to like to spend less time on sort of background founder story and Mm -hmm. more on like brass tacks execution. But you do have really fun things in your founder story that I kind of want to go to. So it's going to just be like, you did this, what'd you learn? You did yeah, that, what'd it. you learn? Okay. I know. I used to I used to be embarrassed by it because I felt so hoppy, but now I'm like, oh yeah, that's exactly why I did all of those things so I could do this. No, I mean, when people ask me, I'm like, well, I was born in 1972. <laughs> I mean, hoppy is like one thing, but like older founder is another, right? Because yeah. there's so much backstory yeah. and I'm always kind of like embarrassed to talk about, I mean, I was on one a couple of weeks ago where, you know, I was talking about when I was 10 and I'm like, does anyone care? Everyone cares. Yes. I don't think anyone. Yeah. I mean, I've got a few people who care, 
you know. Um, <laughs> well, and it, it was interesting. So much of what you do, what you, who you are, and what you do, and how you're building what you're building. And I yeah. think you don't see it. What's that phrase? You don't see the forest from the trees. I feel like that's yep. that's fun of it. Or it's like the Steve Jobs one. Like you can't connect the dots while it's happening. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. But again, I'm like, is this helping anyone build their company? I don't know. I mean, it feels a little like therapeutic for me, you know, (laughs) but so you, um, it's you, I mean, your story is awesome because, you know, you did grow up, you know, just, I love hearing you talk about the foods you were eating at, you know, your family owned a gas station and there, you were just surrounded by snacks and salty, sweet foods and all of that fun stuff. So you have this love and nostalgia for food that we consider at this point, not particularly good for you, but still incredibly popular and powerful in, you know, our, our consumer world. Um, so that's really fun just as a background. And then leading into working at Lay's right out of college, what, you know, I guess, what did you think you were going to learn? What were you, mm-hmm. I mean, at 22, you, you're like, you know, an embryo, so you don't know what the hell's going on, but like, what was the plan? What did yeah. you end up taking away? And yeah. what do you find yourself now as a founder leading this company? You kind of go back to as a fundamental or like a physical law of CPG. Yeah. It's kind of funny because at the time I joined, I was still kind of transforming my diet and how I thought about food and nutrition and honestly, and I'm still learning today, but, but still learning more about it. Like you mentioned, I grew up on, on flaming hot Cheeto puffs and sour punch straws Mm -hmm. and Oreos and hamburger helper. And that's, that's what we ate. And it's, I, I, was from a town called Euless, Texas, where, um, you know, it's lower socioeconomic households. We, for lack of better words, we grew up kind of poor. Um, and Mm -hmm. so you, that, that's the kind of food you have accessibility to, but that's also, um, you know, it's also kind of an area where there wasn't much education on, on health and wellness nutrition. Uh, Now in Texas, there's a a love for sports. So I played sports my whole life. I I played basketball and ran track. So externally, I looked fine. I looked like a normal, like thin, rather tall kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but internally, my insides were made of like partially hydrogenated oil <laughs> and like <yellow laughs> and corn. Dye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like small corn. Um, yeah. So I, fast forward, kind of to to graduating. I will say those those brands that I grew up with, um, and also there's something about growing up kind of in a low income household where brands are really are even shinier. Yep. Yeah. Them. So like, sure. it, whether that's like, you know, I was really into fashion as a kid. So whether that's mm-hmm. kind of like designer brands, um, or just, you know, the, the big brands you'd see on Super Bowl commercials, um, yep. I just had a, I had a fascination. And so when I was, um, recruiting, I recruited, I was in the undergraduate business school at UT and I recruited mostly for CPG companies and mm-hmm. mostly because they have the most iconic brands, right? Like PMG, yep. And PepsiCo and, um, you know, Conagra and, and Mondelez, like they have these iconic, iconic brands. And so if you want to learn brand building, yes, my, my, I would say my food philosophy kind of diverged while I was at Pepsi, but, um, but Pepsi, you know, Lays is a $3 billion brand. It's awesome. So, Mm -hmm. um, what I learned there and what I kind of was excited about was, the, all the sexy parts of building a, a CPG company, right? Like we were doing everything from, you know, launching limited edition flavors to working with, um, you know, big retailers like Target and Walmart and Costco to, um, you know, running Super Bowl commercials and, and managing, I was an analyst managing a $70 million advertising budget. Yeah, like I mean, it was crazy. Um, so fun. That's not your budget now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zeros, <laughs> zeros off. Um, right. But I was there at a time where there was this big um, revolution from going from traditional media. So TV, print, radio. I, uh, you know, my voice is in a, an old Lay's radio spot because mm-hmm. we were being 
So we had the team um, kind of voice over the, the radio spot. Right. Um, and then, you know, all the way to we were moving the budget to digital. So that's right. when when brands first started creating Facebook accounts, which is kind of like aging myself a little bit, I guess. Um, but when it was weird that brands had a presence where on a social network, right? Like on Facebook mm-hmm. or Instagram or whatever it was. So um, yeah. that's all to say the experience there, I would say what's the most relevant with what I'm doing now is you have to run such a tight ship on a 99 cent product. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like imagine you were trying to save a quarter of a cent in the supply chain. Like you are, um, you know, so diligent with your trade spend. Like you are just running a tight PL. And sure, I did have a, an insane advertising budget, but on the actual PL side, right. that's that was the best experience because you basically like the way it's structured for people who don't know at big CPG companies, you have your brand managers that manage. So there's, you know, the Doritos brand manager, there's the Oreo brand manager, there's a Lay's brand manager, and mm-hmm. they essentially function as the general manager of the brand. And right. then you have your cross-functional. So you have finance, innovation, supply chain operations, just, a, you know, a, a slew of cross-functionals that almost like report into you, even though they're kind of they're like the little you know, hub. Mm-hmm. Yes, even though they're their same band. And so that, I mean, that experience, I feel like I, I learned how to be a mini CEO almost right. in, in that experience. And then by the way, the iconic kind of like advertising branding, you can see a lot of our brand building um, on Doe on our Instagram, TikTok. That's probably the most public platforms you can see it on. But um, you can see like we really care about that. Um, right. And we're... Uh, we do it in a much different way, in a much cheaper way, in a much more, I would say, storytelling authentic way. But yeah, those that experience, that like gold standard of marketing, I wouldn't give that up for the world. I think it was like it, it allowed me to do what I do now and do it more efficiently and more effectively. Yeah. No, I mean, I think um, Mike Messersmith came from BC's, but, you know, big CPG. Yeah, he's, a, he's an advisor to do. Yeah. Yep. Me too. Miguel. Um, I mean, these are people who are listening. These are, you can look them up there on past episodes. Federico, who is now running um, Body Armor, who was at Chobani at the time when he came on the podcast. They're just like these fundamental, I always talk about them like physical laws. You know, every founder, we think we've, you know, invented, we have to right? We have to believe that we've invented something that is genuinely earth shattering. Otherwise we would not spend the time and the resources and the, and the energy and the tears doing it. But you know, there are some things that just need to, to that, that, that don't change, whether you're building a brand in 1820 or, you know, 1930 or you know, 2025, the, the way that those things exhibit themselves, right. The, the channels maybe might be different, Mm -hmm. but they're fundamentals of business and of brand building. Um, and I think founders who come in through larger CPG companies understand those, the ones that really crush it are the ones that are able to hold on to those while also being super nimble. Yep. And innovative. Because um, yeah. some people are just like, no, this is the way it is. And this is the way it yeah. goes. Well, and- that's, it, it can be a dessert. That's the kind, that was the kind of thing that worried me a little bit is mm-hmm. does it, it can also, it can propel you, but it can also kind of cap your thinking and you have this mm-hmm. weird kind of glass ceiling of what you can do. And so it, it helped that I was a misfit at these organizations. Right. <laughs> so I was at yeah, that I was at Diamond Foods after that and I was at McKinsey. So all big orgs. But I was also kind of the rebel child where right. I had, you know, I had a VP or SVP that supported me and was kind of like a mentor or a sponsor um, and allowed me to break rules. And that I think cultivated my entrepreneurial side yes. and kind of my creative rule breaking side and then paired it with, um, okay, this is just how things work. You know, this is process. Yep. And it also seems like, I mean, from what I've read and listened to, you were also, you know, 2012, I, I mean, I literally just talked about it in my last episode because it was the year that Instagram came into yes. the world. It was also mm-hmm. the year that Plated and Blue Apron launched, which mm-hmm. for someone like me is pretty significant because it was like food D to C all of a sudden becoming a thing. Yep. And those kind of two things coupled with 
sort of coming out of a recession. And I mean, it was like a really interesting time, but you were really coming into adulthood at that time. And also you were the young voice in the room, which I think is really interesting. You know, I was 40, you were 22. So people are looking at you like, all right, something's going on, right? Like, what is this thing? We need to be on it. I don't know what it is. Can you, can you, can you do that? Like you young person? Do do social media. That's like what we do to Gen Z now. We're like, can you figure out threads? (laughs) Yeah. Can you do the internet? Um, I mean, that's like one of my favorite memes, like everyone, internets, um, we all have thoughts, you know, we all have, we all have our input about your, your TikTok post. Um, It's funny when I hear founders that are older that are, you know, involved in that. I'm like, just don't, just don't, just don't, just let them go. Let them do their thing. Um, But it sounds like you had, you know, you had that kind of the timing of you becoming a a functioning grown up at the same time as the world moving to digital in the context of this bigger corporate ecosystem really did give you this fun sort of, I'm in it, but I'm kind of not of it. um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it it gives me or it gave me a right to win in a category a la social media or digital where I don't think I necessarily had a right to win. It's not like I had any more experience than mm-hmm. than you know the, my, the people that were ten years my senior. I just picked it up quickly and was I was a little bit more digitally native than you know my my directors and VPs were but right. yeah so same thing with I think Gen Z now is that is happening but uh, yeah I right. did I definitely took advantage of it I had this newsletter at um at Frito-Lay called the Millennial Minute and I remember <laughs> I would send it I sent it to like a small group initially and I would basically just it would be you know I said a minute to read it would be a couple minutes to read of all the new millennial-esque things um what whether that was phrase, yeah phrases right. or you know new social media apps or whatever it was um and then it slowly just like grew out of control. I got so many responses of people being like, can I please be on this? Like right. where <laughs> my bread, Doritos is also trying to, you know, crack the millennial audience. Right. So um, yeah, it is funny. We, we put that pressure on Gen Z now, but it was at, you know, at one time it was me. But what a great opportunity for my Gen Z listeners, like create the Gen Z, maybe not minute because it's not alliterative, but I don't know, something Gen Z for okay. your older um people and they'll be very grateful. Yeah. So you mentioned it briefly, you went to Diamond, then you went to McKinsey and then, um, you kind of, you, you racked up experiences, you, you figured out a couple of different sort of skill sets and then you worked at M13, um, Mm -hmm. and you were launching different brands through their venture studio, which I think is, it's really interesting because you, you, I mean, clearly it was of a different era where you could just kind of put up tons of Facebook ads, send people to sort of like pretend products in the, would you buy this kind of situation? Mm -hmm. See what stuck a little bit. Um, What was the big takeaway from that? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was my first venture into going earlier. So I had the itch. I mean, I had the itch even at PepsiCo, Um, you know, Pepsi to Diamond, uh, to McKinsey, always had the edge to go earlier. Um, M13 is interesting because it's a it's a VC first and foremost, right? Mm-hmm. So they had their fund. Um, so it does give you, I, I came on to essentially build the venture studio. So it was nothing before I came on, but it's, it essentially gives you a little bit of a safety net. So you can kind of take the leap in launching brands. Right. But, yeah. You, know, you have a salary, you have a fund attached to you. You have, um, you know, Carter and Courtney who are the brothers that founded M13. Um, you know, they have a network and they were good, you know, great mentors for me. Um, so it gave me a little bit of a safety net to like take the risk, but not have to, you know, go sleep on my friend's couches and, and, and figure were out, they like, you know, were you, were they like make five, pretend brands and see like, how did they even, 
How, so how do they is your yeah. job? Yeah. So basically, uh, I, I know this was the fun part. So basically they said, mm-hmm. we want to create a venture studio and a venture studio can come in a couple different forms. It can come in, um, you know, an EIR model where you have a bunch of entrepreneurs and residences that will mm-hmm. create brands from scratch. You can do, you can have an accelerator where you have tiny brands that apply and you can kind of accelerate them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, I mean, there's a, there's a million different models. We, we did one where we partnership, partnered with um, P&G Ventures where they would provide the IP and then we would build the founding team around it mm-hmm. um, and we would kind of spin, spin the company off the, in a C-Corp. So there's kind of a, a dozen different models and now probably more because it's been a few years. But right. um, essentially they said, okay, we want to build a venture studio where we want on, on the venture side, we own a tiny portion of these brands and we invest in dozens of them. We want to own bigger portions of these of brands that we launch. And we actually want to, one, give them more resources, but then two, we want to take the learnings from these brands and be able to apply them on the venture side. So it kind of becomes this flywheel of- yeah you know, we have majority stake and we have a little bit more financial stake in these, but we can at least, you know, use them as well. Even if they don't work out at the end of the day, which, you know, all of them have have done quite well, but even if they don't work out at the end of the day, we're at least getting the learnings to inform the venture side. Um, So So it's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, that's like, I think my dream job. Yeah. It was, it was totally a dream and it was, um, it basically, the reason McKinsey was so helpful or my McKinsey thinking was so helpful is I created the process. It ended up being a four-phase process of ideate, test and learn, launch, and then accelerate. And there were Mm -hmm. a few different work streams in each of those. But um, essentially, most ideas should die in the ideate phase. So, mm-hmm. you know, 99% of ideas should, should, should die. We should be able to kill our own babies and, mm-hmm. um, and it, it should be super methodical and we should want to, because we're, right. we're, we're figuring out a process. Um, and then in the test and learn, you know, a, a, call it a dozen ideas, will make it. And then that's where we'll actually put a little bit more financial resources against it. Um, a, a lot more thought, a lot more, a whole kind of testing and learning plan. And that's where we would actually, um, you know, end up with, you know, one, maybe two, three max, if we, you know, if it got that far concepts to actually take to commercialize. Wow. Um, so that's, I mean, yeah, it was, it was absolutely, it was super fun. It teaches you kind of the zero to one in a super rapid, rapidly paced environment. Um, I will say I used that exact model when I mm-hmm. was launching dough, which is a little less sexy than a lot of other food or maybe big. No, I kind of want to hear about that. I want to hear how, so ideate, did you have a bunch of ideas and dough is just the one that made it through to test and learn? Were there others that made it through to test and learn? There were others. um, And there were others, but over a period of time. So, you know, right before the pandemic, actually, um, in January, I concepted an idea around a social house which mm. yeah, <laughs> like that physical space, a physical space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, we had a couple of events where we, you know, brought together a community. It was essentially kind of like a physical space community. Think like So House, but more for um, startup founders, that ecosystem, um, right. and not, you know, for kind of just like bougie. I don't really know Soho House audience anymore, but like bougie artists maybe is what it is. More Uh, like bougie founders. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or founders who have raised $40 million in DC. Right. Um, So yeah, ended up that idea, thank God, didn't end up um, going through. But yeah, there was a couple of, there's one around an energy drink um, concept specifically targeted towards women. couple of them, but that was a little I, early. Uh-huh. Yeah. Also, well, also beverage. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I could do beverage. I, I, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I, I'm so surprised every time I chat with all my beverage founder friends, I'm like, yeah, yep. that, that, that confirms that I can't yep. do yep. <laughs> um, But anyways, that's all to say. Yeah. There were a couple of different ones. And then you know, even though I thought I would leave food and beverage forever once I left, uh, once I left PepsiCo or once I left Diamond Foods, rather, I that's where my experience is, and clearly where a lot of my passion is. And right. it's, um, you know, it's this, it's this intersection. The concept was around healthy indulgences, so mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of this intersection of, um, you know, 
better for you or good for you food that actually tastes good, which sounds very simple on its surface. Right. But, um, you know, living in Los Angeles and my husband working for a grocery store called Airwine, we are mm-hmm. very familiar with a lot of health foods, most health foods that actually don't taste delicious. Right. So, um, you know, that, that intersection, especially, you know, growing up in the middle of the country, like you, you just have a different lens of, of, and you have a different palette, honestly, right? Than mm-hmm. your counterparts, maybe in in Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York. Um, so you know, you know what um, Karen in Iowa is going to eat and consume, and what her taste buds are like more so than maybe um, you know someone who grew up on on a, a super clean, healthy. Totally. No, I mean, also, I mean, I I just remember when we launched everyone being like, just be careful. Like you're really a New Yorker. You you're really an elite New Yorker. <laughs> and I was like, no, like I'm totally not. Whatever. And I'm like, Oh wow. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Wait, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back because after test and learn, I want to know what happened next. Okay. okay we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm back with Sabina Lada, founder of Doe. Okay, so we've gotten through the ideate phase. Yeah. It's 2020. 2020. We've, we are now in test and learn. Are you testing and learning just Doe? Like, are we now yeah. sort of? Okay. Yeah. And so what, is, what does test and learn look like? So essentially, I I wanted to see if there was product market fit before I went and fundraised um, and, you know, put all this money against a, a concept where, because this is back when the fundraising environment is very different now. So if people mm-hmm. remember, this is back when you could raise a million, $2 million off of a deck, literally yep. off of seven yep. pages, a beautiful brand deck. <clears throat> Nobody would try the product if it's a food product and just hand you money. It was so easy to raise. Yep. Um, and there was just, there was a lot of money. In the ah, market. the go-go years. <laughs> I, know. I know, the go-go years. Um, well, I, now it's almost, argue, I, I've kind of changed my tune a little bit. I'm like, okay. I mean, yeah, no, I think that I, I agree. The entrants are limited too. So yes. um, it's only serious people who are here, you know, giving their, giving their firstborn to make this stuff work. Yeah. Um, but that's all to say, I basically said before I fundraise, I'm going to prove product market fit. And the way I best knew how to do that was digitally. So mm-hmm. digitally, and then we did a small sub, sub-segment of stores that would take us. So mm. we could see if there was retail um, retail traction as well. I mean, I was like hand delivering to these stores. So you had store. a real product. It wasn't just yes. like a page and see how many people sign up and see how yeah. many people click on the ad. Exactly. So we had a little bit of a wait list up, but basically my biggest qualm with how I launched at M13 was that it was a fake product. You would put up Mm -hmm. a fake landing page and people would buy it, but then you, you, so you would get basically what you wanted, right? The conversion rate, the wallet is the ultimate, ultimate, um, you know, product market fit because it's, they're not just entering their email address. They're giving you money. So we got to that there, but the problem with it was the buck stopped there. So you didn't get the mm-hmm. NPS, you didn't get the repeat rate, you didn't get the, did they like the product? You didn't, especially with the right. food product that matters so much. Um, and so that's where I was like, okay, is there a way I can make this product myself and, you know, have, have baker's assistants make in commercial kitchens if it got to that um, and have an MVP of a product um, and see how it does. And we can optimize. I think that was the biggest thing is I didn't go in thinking, 
this is the product and it's not changing. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is the MVP of the product, which is kind of weird to do in food. Um, But it's probably going to change. Even now, we're reformulating right now one of our flavors. Of course. I mean, Um, everyone, everyone's constantly reformulating. I mean, even if you're not reformulating because you realize that maybe people want a little bit less sugar or maybe people do want it, you know, vegan or gluten-free, but you're reformulating because, you know, ingredients get crazy expensive or there's a war or a drought or whatever. I think everyone needs to, I mean, just, this is one of those things where like everyone needs to get really comfortable. This is like a living, breathing thing. Your brand is living and breathing. Your products are living and breathing. Your team is living and breathing. You know, I was saying to someone this morning that we always think of ourselves as like a teenager company, but we're like not even a preteen, you know, we're like, we're like that nine-year-old girl that like puts on the outfit and like makes the like sassy face and is like, I'm going shopping. Like we're not even like, you know, cause you always feel like we've been in it for so long. We feel bigger than Mm -hmm. we are. We're yep. not even on the on the on the home plate yet, you know. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, which is good. That's good. It means we have a lot of opportunity ahead. Yeah, and it's it's big brands still also like when I was on Lays, we did a whole packaging change across mm-hmm. all you know across globally. We did it in the U.S. Yeah. first, and then we we executed it globally. So it's Look at Jell-O. you're totally right. Yeah, it's iteration and it's learning what the consumer wants and. Um, and so that I went in with that and our packaging was so bad. It was hideous. When I look back at the old packaging, I'm, I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, how did I think this? Have you, have you seen the original RX bar packaging? Just, no, just I don't go think back. I have. Go, go just what? Google it. Google it. It's so fun. Funny. Just because the, they're so iconic because of packaging. that package. Yeah. Go back. Yeah. That's funny. Oh my God. Yep. I just Googled it. Yeah. That's awful. Pretty much. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's, I guess you okay. should be embarrassed of your first product, but um, essentially I said, I'm going to take $20,000 of my own money. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. Parting ways with this. Like I want to, I, I, you know, want to create, and this is, um, I'd rather waste 20K of my own money and kill my own baby than, um, mm-hmm. you know, than, than go and raise and, lose everybody else's money. So, um, that's all to say I went in with, you know, a super, uh, I, I say janky Shopify website, but it was like, it it was good enough. It converted. I just Mm -hmm. picked a couple of other websites that I thought were good, um, and high converting. And then, um, yeah. And then we launched October, 2020, um, launched, I had a person at UCLA who's now our full-time social media, um, Mm -hmm. manager and but she, I was paying her hourly, um, you know, to, to do some social media posts for us and help with, help with honestly anything. She was like, she would help with influencer stuff. She would help manage the account, whatever. Um, and, and then launched in October of 2020. And by January of 2021, we were bursting out of our commercial kitchens, like could Mm. not, I, I would make the product until three in the morning. I then would wake up at seven in the morning to pack boxes and and it can you know, ship. Drop it it was it, it's not refrigerated, right? It is refrigerated, but initially I thought it was not refrigerated. So that was a big learning <laughs> early on okay. in shipping <laughs> shipping the product because nothing in the actual product is everything's shelf stable in the product itself. Right. And so <laughs> it was a conundrum to me when I realized that it did actually have to be cold shipped. Um, right. And then, yeah, it was like a handful of customers at the time. But, you know, at the time you think it's like the end of the world. You're like, oh my God, I can't oh, believe yeah. people in their products. Um, yeah. And now I'm like, that's oh, very that funny. Fun. Yeah. That was fun. So you were shipping um, refrigerated things to people and yeah. from Shopify and you were in a couple of retailers just trying to get as much information as you could. Yeah. And what, well, it was what all then how did, how did that, what did you feed into the decision-making machine that you were gathering from both of these places? Yeah. So there was, there are a couple of things and I, it's funny cause I can sometimes get a little too analytical where all, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's things like click through rate and conversion rate and, you know, an NPS of 
for us, an excellent is higher than an eight, right? So um, an excellent NPS and, um, you know, friend referral. And you can kind of, you can email address collection. Like you can quantify all of that. But the mm-hmm. piece that I that ultimately helped me make the decision was the qualitative piece of it, which was, mm-hmm. you know, we had influencers that I thought, w- you know, would never even, that we would never land for the brand that were reaching out mm-hmm. to us on Instagram asking us, for product. Um, or we mm-hmm. had, you know, Shark Tank reach out in January of, of 2021. So just a couple months later, I'm like, how did someone, how did wow. an executive producer at Shark Tank even find right. us? Like they just emailed our customer service email. We had Whole Foods wow. reaching out to like things that where I was like, okay, there is, it's, uh-huh. it's not just the data. It is, it is on Shopify and understanding the, and making sure, I mean, our conversion rate was off the charts. It was like between six and 7%, but it's things like that, but it's also right. paired with kind of being you know, able magic. to read the tea leaves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This magic where you're like, okay, there's something. And I think, you know, as a, as a female founder, I, you know, I get a little bit of imposter syndrome and I'm like, oh no, you know, it's just the holiday season. People are just mm-hmm. looking for this product because they're using it. I, I would like excuse away the numbers even. Yeah. Um, but then I got to a point in January where I was like, no, like this is happening. People want this product. People want something healthier that's indulgent. They want to feel good about what they're eating. And by the way, no one's really effectively talking to this Gen Z and millennial female consumer. And she right. is obsessed with our brand. Like you, yes, yep. like you're allowed to feel that way. And I think that yeah. that took a minute for me to be like, oh yeah, it, you know, it is something. Yeah, that's a that's an ever evolving. You know, this whole trust your gut thing. I'm like, but. Of course you should trust your gut. It's that we don't know what our gut is because our brain gets in the way most of the time. (laughs) Like all the stuff that we've been trained over the course of our lives, like fortunately, maybe for younger women, less so than, you know, women sort of above 40, but man, you know, it'd be great if we all just could trust our guts, but the gut is like feels kind of far away. That's what, that's what we need help with. Um, so what I want to kind of get into, because I think it, this is the beginning, right? The beginning was you were, you were selling pretty heavily directly and you were also in retailers. You're still pretty even from my understanding with your D to C and your retail businesses. Uh, shifting a yeah. bit now. So this okay. year, yeah, we were about 80% direct to consumer in year one. We were about 70 year two. Um, so it's shifting slowly. The, our, our product mix is shifting. And then um, D2C is still growing because we have this kind of interesting drop model and, and kind of collaboration yeah, model that, that we mm-hmm. do with our influencers and other brands. So that's that's like DSC exclusive product. That's kind of how we keep it humming. But um, right. and we still have, I mean, we have great distribution, right? We're in 1400 doors, but we, yeah. it's still not, you can, you know, walk across the street and find the product. And so I think that right. also helps in keeping D2C thriving. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because we talk a lot about, I'm very, I kind of always am like, you know, the bird song, like to everything, turn, 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 there is a season. I don't know if you know that song, but I do. No, I, I think of it all the time. Okay. It's an old bird song and, okay. um, it comes from like the Bible, but anyway, it's, it's, it's a good song, but I always sing it. Like there, there's a, like, there's a purpose to every channel. Like every, mm-hmm. every marketing channel has a purpose. Every sales channel has a purpose. It might have a secondary and a tertiary, but like the, the purpose of direct to consumer for, you know, brands that are going to be primarily retail isn't just sales because at the end of the day, that's not where people are going to go. Like they're not going to want to pay for the shipping. They're not going to want to yeah. go through the whole thing, even if you make it really easy they want it when they want it. So what I've been loving learning from my friends that are successful on D2C, and it goes back to like Ari from Coconut Cult talking about it, or Paul from Ourobora, even mm-hmm. Jing, right? Like there's something special on direct-to-consumer that you can only get on that website where there's an mm-hmm. intimacy or a connectivity 
with the consumer that makes sense for them to buy it directly from you. Otherwise, they don't really have that much of a reason to. And it sounds like you have found this model that keeps people engaged. Um, Yeah. And, and yes, I mean, I think you're, you're right. Part of it is probably because if they want it and it's not in a store near them, they're going to go there. But my hunch is that that's not most of it. My hunch is that they are feeling connected and that Mm -hmm. there's something about directly getting it from you that's still scratching an itch that they can't scratch if they go to Whole Foods. So what do you think that is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I think there, uh, that is true. It's, partially on the product side, right? It's, um, we do use direct to consumer as a channel channel to kind of de-risk retail. So with our donuts mm-hmm. launch, which I can talk about, that was, yeah. we, we wanted to prove it out there. And then when we presented it to Whole Foods and Sprouts, mm-hmm. they were, they were all ears. They're like, oh yeah, you've already launched this. Here's the data around it. They love the product and it, it just gives them another reason to, to take that product. Right. Um, so the product side, I will say, you know, you can't, if there are flavors, you can get chocolate chip, birthday cake, brownie batter anywhere. But if you want s'mores, you have to get it on direct mm-hmm. to consumer. If you want glazed right. donuts, you have to get on direct to consumer. So that's part, part of the reason. But the other piece mm-hmm. is the, the way we've been able to connect with our consumer base on on Instagram, on TikTok, even on SMS, where they quite literally talk to us as if we are a friend or an influencer. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy. You can see our, our customers. We share a lot of our customer service emails on social, but um, so much so that, you know, Sarah spends a lot of her time, Sarah, who's our, our customer service rep, spends a mm-hmm. lot of her time just conversing with these consumers. Mm-hmm. And so, yep. um, you know, they, they feel, they feel a part of the brand and they feel like mm-hmm. it's, it's not phony, I think, because right. we show our faces and we kind of storytell, you know, I get assigned a couple TikToks every couple weeks that I have to do mm-hmm. myself, but <laughs> we, we show, we show our faces, we share the behind the scenes when things go wrong. Like we had our mixer broke last year and, mm-hmm. um, literally one year ago, our mixer broke like our giant mixer. And so we didn't know when we were, we were running out of stock of all of our products. We didn't know when they were going to be back. And obviously we prioritize retail over direct to consumer. We right. Just sell them out on direct to consumer. Um, mm-hmm. So, and the reason it broke is because the sprocket broke. Now, nobody know, nobody on my team knew what a sprocket was. We're like googling, like, right. what the hell is a sprocket? Like, when are, do we need to get a new one? Like, should I go to Home Depot? Um, right. Is that a co-packer? So, obviously, they have it under control. But we did this entire marketing right. campaign around about the sprocket, um, <laughs> about the sprocket. Mixie, Mixie Elliott, uh-huh. who's our mixer, broke, um, and we uh-huh. need to find a sprocket. So we ran a sprocket sale, and it just cleaned out our website. Um, right. so being able to tell those stories or, you know, we did one called, um, for oopsie oatmeal, we bought the wrong oat flour, um, where it was the <laughs> wrong mesh size. So to the naked eye, uh-huh. it looked like, the, it looked like regular oat flour, but it was just the wrong mesh size where it made the product almost like oatmeal-y and we had already run, uh, $30,000 oh. of product. <laughs> so wow. we, right. we basically had to decide to throw this away. I tried it. I was like, this actually tastes kind of good. So we called it oopsie right. oatmeal. I kind of like oatmeal. Yeah. Oatmeal. Yeah, exactly. We, it was oatmeal chocolate chip, not raisins, because we're not sociopaths. Um, and right. <laughs> we designed a custom label called Oopsie Oatmeal, and it was one of our best-selling stuff. Like, I think it was the best-selling flavor so last summer. Yeah, and it, you know, we got like seven million TikTok views. So, um, wow. yeah, that kind of thing. I think building that connection, they want to root for you. They want to support you. Yeah. Like, you know, they they want before our Whole Foods review. We told them we said we're having our global Whole Foods review in two weeks. We need you guys to sell out every Whole Foods, and they did just that. Our community sold wow. out every whole, almost every single Whole Foods in SoPat, yeah. so that our global review would go well. And it's that you can see it in the numbers. It's kind of crazy to see yeah. the, the velocity spikes. But um, anyways, they they feel like they're a part of the brand, and they wanna. They obviously love the products. They think it, they're it's fun. They like that they're healthier, but they also just are, you know, want to feel like they're a part of the brand, which is really fun. Right. No, that's amazing. In terms of building these two different businesses kind of at the same time, you know, I think I was, I was interviewing (laughs) finance people and, you know, they would, they gave me these references and a lot of the references were primarily direct to consumer companies. And I was like, 
I really need companies to call that are in UNFI and KEHI and like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's distribution and there's all this craziness with billbacks and chargebacks and MCBs and OIs and that, 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 and, um, they're almost like running two different businesses literally at the same time. So you're, I mean, you have to prioritize team differently, resources differently, even the Mm -hmm. way that they forecast is totally different. Um, what, has been your sort of approach to it? And what are, what are the sort of fundamental things that you need to be able to be sort of, you know, you're not going to be even, but you're going to have a strong D to C component to your business, which I think a lot of people would like to, you know, to de-risk retail. Yeah. I mean, that's been, that's one of the the couple of things that kind of keeps me up at night is building the team. Cause I don't mm-hmm. want to overbuild the team either. Right. Like right. it's, you don't want to have a full D to C team and a full retail team. Like that's not effective right. for anyone. Um, so what we've done, which has worked pretty nicely is, um, you know, we have our head of sales, um, who came from Clio, Bantam Bagel, Smashmallow, some really great startup brands. And she is retail through and through. Like that's what she knows. She mm-hmm. couldn't do deep, she couldn't open Shopify if she had to. Um, but right. I don't want her to. I want her to know what an OI is, to your point. Right. Um, yep. and, and tell me what we should be doing for our OI plan. So um, that's all to say. She's she's retail through and through. Now, my head of ops, Christina, is wonderful. She has both experiences. So she mm. was at Collie Power, mm-hmm. so has the retail experience, but was at right. HelloFresh in the heyday of HelloFresh. So Right. deeply understands both. Um, and quite frankly, mm-hmm. it's just a learner at heart. So is willing, is willing to kind of learn anything. Um, on the marketing side is pretty D to C focused. So Patrick, mm-hmm. our head of marketing, his background is direct to consumer. We worked together right. at a previous company. Um, and he knows digital really well. Now the thing mm-hmm. is with marketing, you shopper marketing and retail marketing, in my opinion, can also be taught. So, mm-hmm. you know, Patrick doesn't need to know, um, you know, what all the, because there are, are the lovers are, are finite, you know, there's demos. Right. He didn't know how to do a demo previously, right? Like that's something right. that's learned, but demos, there's end caps, there's, um, right. you know, being in emails, there's, you know, a couple of different things you can do. You can't and do much in the refrigerator. And- Right. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. yeah, and you can't even with us because we're in the refrigerated. You can't really even do that. It's not like beverage in right. that sense. So, um, mm-hmm. so I've been because I have a background in re- retail at Pepsi. I've been kind of coaching him through um, the different options, and now with all these new shopper marketing programs like Social yep. Nature and Aisle and all of those, he's actually mm-hmm. more of an expert in those because they are digital. Right. So yeah, um, so he playing both sides and that's worked pretty nicely. So I feel good about where we are now. I think when it comes to field sales teams and things like that, that's where it can probably get tricky in the next couple of years. But, you know, yeah. knowing that retail is going to be a bigger part of our business and D2C will still be growing and healthy, but there is, in my opinion, again, a cap to um, food sales on direct to consumer. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's really well put. I made a little Venn diagram just as you were talking and I have like retail is one big one and you have um, head of sales on that side. And then in the little middle, there's like ops and finance. And mm-hmm. then on the D to C side, there's sort of the marketing growth kind of team that, that can dabble yeah. into things that they need to do for retail. Um, and I think you're right. Also, you know, a lot of the, listen, I think, a couple of years ago, I remember heyday of the pandemic being in a founder slack and everyone and their mother was looking for, you know, a $250,000 head of growth. Ugh, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> isn't that just like, I mean, I know I'm, they're going to piss people off and I'm sorry. And I don't mean to, but a lot of it was just like knowing how to buy ads. And yeah. I'm like, that can't be, that can't be the job. Right. Like (laughs) I know that there's more to it and I'm being, yeah, right. Um, but now I think, you know, to your point, you know, doing good, I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, the retailers understand, you know, we had a retailer say to us something about like, what is your, uh, you know, marketing plan for next year? And, Mm -hmm. you know, 
some of it was like, well, we'll do these three promotions. But again, we're also refrigerated. So it's not like we can even do an end cap. Yeah. And, you know, but what we are doing is we're putting, you know, merchandising hands in there and we're mm-hmm. doing a social nature campaign. And we do have an aisle QR code on our, you know, pouch. If not, we're not allowed to put tags on all of these things. And we're also on their platform doing, you know, their own version of their e-com. So it looks different maybe than what it used to look like. And to your point, a lot of it is social. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, I'm hoping that, you know, the retailers also understand that we can't do everything. Um, yeah. And we can't have a whole team at this stage that's just shopper marketing, merchandising, et cetera, you know, field and a whole yeah. team that's doing all the digital stuff because that we just, you know, we don't have yeah, the resources for that. I have found yeah. a lot of retailers who are, they're, they're trying to figure out TikTok and they're trying to figure out digital. They're trying mm-hmm. to, they, so they even like Sprouts is, is one for us that we have a really close relationship with. Um, yeah. And they, they love it. They ask us all the time. They're like, um, you know, when are you guys doing your next push or what's the next campaign for, right. for Sprouts? And so I think they're starting to understand too, because totally. we, we also see that see it in the numbers. So like we'll launch a direct to consumer flavor. We launched, um, pink frosting with the skinny confidential, mm-hmm. um, in September mm-hmm. of last year. And I fully assumed D to C I knew it was going to be two really big days for direct to consumer. So I was like, okay, D to C is going to take off. We'll probably take a hit in retail. And it was the complete opposite. D to C took mm. off and retail was the highest velocities we ever had in target in whole foods everywhere. And so wow. it was kind of interesting to see, okay, if you do the right work on D to C and digitally, consumers, mm-hmm. our number one page is still find us. So like right. consumers will still go to your find us page and sure pink frosting wasn't in stores, but it, you know, it drove people to just get birthday cake yeah. at target. Right? Absolutely. It's funny. I mean, just a little shout out to sprouts. I got to oh, say, I love like <laughs> they have, they have really embraced this innovation first to market supporting emerging brands, Mm -hmm. you know, thesis. Um, I mean, I got to hand it to them. Like they're, they're, they're doing such a good job and they've kind of slipped into that place of if you have a new product or you have a new line or you have a new flavor, you know, they can get you into their stores in a way. I mean, I'm sort of, I I have, I have this weird, I think Walmart is also kind of able to do that, which is also kind of confusing for me just as a person, um, (laughs) because that doesn't feel like it should be, but it is in a way. So there's just something going on with, um, you know, all of these labor issues that all of these retailers are facing essentially just make resets fewer and further between and make them harder. Um, and so that's just, innovation is going to take a hit in a lot of these retailers. Um, are you finding that the retailers that, you know, first of all, clearly it seems like there is something to these retailers care very much about social presence and they, they care very much that you are bringing new people into that retailer and giving them an experience, um, that, that they're sort of missing. Are you, are you surprised at all with the retailers that are working and the ones that aren't as well, or the ones that are coming to you, you know, are, has it shifted because you have so much experience in this industry? Like did what I just say about Walmart make you twitch or were you like, yeah, Yeah. like what, you know, well, without, and yeah. I know you can't give too much away, but you know. No, I mean, it's, the Walmart thing is interesting because you're not the first person that has said that. Um, and we're actually in, in test, we don't talk about it a lot, but we're in a couple of test Walmarts in, um, in Texas and Louisiana, which, you know, a brand our size would, 
I still mm-hmm. go back and forth on whether I should have said yes to the test. Right. But, you know, we're doing it, we're trying it. Um, and you know, we'll, we're building a relationship there. Um, mm-hmm. but it is, it's, I think retailers are also trying to figure out how, how to win versus each other. And I think they're, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're all they're all kind of taking slightly different or, or I guess like maybe in a Whole Foods Amazon world, right? It's kind of changed things a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sprouts Sprouts doubling down on innovation makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. right? Because if they yeah. do cut-ins, if they're still nimble enough, um, and it seems to be working as a consumer, I go to Sprouts all the time to get my you know mm-hmm. very specific things. Um, and then Walmart, no, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't make me twitch. I know, I know Walmart at least for PepsiCo you know, obviously biggest customer, one of the biggest customers. But um, mm-hmm. when we launched Do, Do Us a Flavor, which was our biggest campaign on Lay's, where we crowdsourced flavors from America mm. and basically produced the top three flavors, um, and they had to duke it out to win a permanent spot um, on the Lay's <laughs> right. portfolio, basically. Um, Walmart was the first to be like, we want to launch these flavors. We want to do it in a big way, um, you know, and we, we want to exclusivity on, you right. know, a couple of different flavors. Like they, they loved it. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think new, I think innovation to your point in theory should be dying a bit because it is hard to, to, um, execute even like we did an LTO mm-hmm. with, um, with sprouts during the summer for s'mores, um, that's live right now, but we had to do a couple of plus outs because, mm-hmm. you know, the stores weren't ordering or, you know, there was some sort of, um, miscommunication. So we had to, you know, our buyer was great, gracious enough to kind of give us a couple of different plus outs to make sure we were actually in stock. Um, right. but if you can, yeah, if you can continue to do it in a, um, in a way where it gives you, you a competitive advantage, it's, it's like, why mm-hmm. not? Yeah. And I'm just sort of, you know, going back to that every, I won't sing anymore, but every channel has a purpose that can be drilled down into retailer too. Right. And it feels like, it feels like just the ones who are leaning hard into, you're either going to win on value, on experience, on social signaling, right? Like, but you kind of have to pick where you're going to win. And I, it feels like there's confusion for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and with and, the younger yeah. consumer, that's why they love us right. a lot too, is because we're bringing, I mean, a millennial Gen Z woman hasn't shopped Pillsbury or Nestle in right. 10 years, right? Like she, she stopped yep. buying that stuff maybe when she was in, in her sorority house in college. Um, mm-hmm. So we're bringing her to their set, which I think they appreciate, though we're small, right? Um, we're still bringing yep. an incremental consumer, which I think they understand pretty deeply. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Okay. Last question. Um, yeah. Donuts. Tell me donuts. all about them. Uh, and I was surprised you didn't child. call them like donuts, like D E U. We almost did. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, like almost, that's, we, you know, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's a low hanging, it's low hanging fruit. We almost mm-hmm. did. And we changed it last minute because we tried it. Sometimes you're so deep into something that you don't, yeah. um, you know, like you don't. So we, we try to think of the consumer that was, yeah, they're like, not going to get the as much. Yeah. The, yeah, right. the 99% of the consumer that sees us at shelf on our website, they right. would get it. But on shelf, they would be like, what, what's Dukes nuts? <laughs> you right. know, or like, duh, <laughs> do nuts. Right. Um, so awesome. we, we tried yeah. to play into the consumer that has never heard of us before. Yes. Um, that's a very yeah, good that's- lesson, by the way. Like, <laughs> We all, we're all like, oh my gosh, like we're so funny. Like we're so clever. Yeah. And we're like, what? Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. Definitely like, a good you lesson. guys Take are that losers. away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were thinking retail first, which we didn't with our dough packaging. We had, to, that's why we redid our packaging. So now we're kind of, mm-hmm. we flipped it to think retail first instead of DTC mm-hmm. first. Um, but yeah, they're, they're our new golden child. It's been, it's been kind of wild to see what launched as a test because they all, all of our new products and new flavors always launch as a test in a limited quantity. Yep. Um, snowballed into the last three months um, or last quarter, it's been our number one selling product on direct to consumer, which is Amazing. kind of crazy to, I, we haven't mm-hmm. crowned her the new, um, hero skew yet, 
but mm-hmm. internally there's a lot of um, excitement around it. And then with buyers and retailers, there's a lot of excitement yep. about that product line. Yeah. So it's a little oh, bit too so of yeah, like reading reading the room too. Of okay, there there are plenty of brands. I mean, I was talking to. Um, uh, to the Quinn founder who was saying that they start, you know, we, they started with microwave popcorn, ended up with stuffed peanut butter pretzels, right? Or like- well, My kind um, bar didn't have chocolate. I mean, I'm sure Miguel has talked to you about this, but like, I mean, you can go back. This isn't private information, but they had, they had six years of, of health bars that didn't have chocolate on them. Just nuts. And now yeah, it's like it's- a big chunk of their business. The, these things, this is why it's like, that iteration. And, and I think, you know, I guess my last sort of little chime in here is everyone's pulling back and everyone's pruning and everyone's being careful about spending and everyone's worried about running out of cash, except for a few people. But for the most Mm -hmm. part, like, I don't think you slow down on innovation. I think as a little brand, you're very tidy you mm-hmm. clean up the skews that aren't working, but you have to keep that innovation thing going because that is what makes us different yeah. from yeah. the big that's guys. Right. I think that's right. Right? Yeah. That okay. is literally like when I uh, – it's funny. I'm sure you get this all the time, but like I get a couple of big CPG companies that reach out ever so often mm-hmm. to, to connect. And I sent one of them um, the donuts product. I was like, oh, this is a bad idea. Are they going to steal my – steal my product. Um, but they were obsessed with it. They were, Mm -hmm. they were obsessed, but like, yeah, it, it would, they were like, there's nothing like this. This is, you know, there's basically just hostess right now. Um, and they were really excited by it. So it is, it's encouraging too, to see big CBG companies. They want that innovation. If the goal is for you, I guess that's assumptive. The goal is getting acquired then, um, and you know, finding a home at a big CBG company eventually that Mm -hmm. they, they, want that too, because that's where they kind of struggle. Right. Exactly. Keep innovating, folks. Just do it. Do it cheaply. (laughs) Or not cheaply, but less expensively. Um, Yeah. Efficiently. I love that. Um, Sabina, thank you so much. I think we got through, we got through a lot. Um, yeah. You, thank you for like speed dating with me through your whole life experience (laughs) and everything that you've done. Of course. This is so fun. We can do a part Amazing. two. <laughs> yes, we will do a part duh, do. <laughs> do. Um, do. Um, Armin, thank you for engineering. We did not have technical difficulties today. Yahoo. Um, but still, this podcast would not exist because I am technically really unfit. So I just get to sit and ask questions and then someone else like Armin does the hard work. So thank you. Thank you to Heritage Radio and listeners. I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.